0: Hey, I'm Steph Farrar,
1: and I'm Sam Ferrar,
0: and this is a job fair podcast,
1: a job cast
0: where you shop for work. <laughs> it's work shopping. Hey guys, this week on the show, we have a next level guest. Alex Katz has been around the block a few times to say the least. Alex's career is textbook, work your ass off, know your worth, be a cool guy and see results. From his first job in Hollywood as a DA, that's a desk assistant, to PA, to editor, all the way up to co-executive producer, Alex then landed the dream job as an executive producer. Now he's running his own development company and post house. He's been a master wizard of several groundbreaking shows you might've heard of, little shows like The Bachelor, The Biggest Loser, Better Late Than Never, and World of Dance, to name a few. Not only can Alex work his way around a room, but he'll do it while telling you the best story that you've ever heard. This is a must listen. Please enjoy this wild ride. It's Alex Katz.
2: Do you guys want me to introduce you as well? Or are you, are we good? No, we're good. <laughs> uh, just kidding. i
1: <laughs> The first question we always ask our interviewees, what do you want to be when
2: you were a kid? Mm-hmm. What I really wanted to do more than anything was make some money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was mm-hmm. crazy into baseball cards, trading cards when I was a kid. And... You know, I didn't really have any money besides making an allowance, which mm-hmm. was three or four bucks a week. Mm-hmm. But I wanted these things that required more than three or four dollars. There might have been a card that I was obsessed with that was 15 or 20 dollars. So the question was always, how do I how do I get that? How do I get there. Yeah. So that was always like my mentality as a child is just trying to figure out how to get the things that I wanted without asking my parents if I wanted something, go get it. Yeah. So I started working when I was really young. So for like 13 and 14 and 15, um, I was a camp counselor uh, and it was great. I remember the one thing I wanted more than anything in life was golf clubs because <laughs> I had sort of gotten into golf and there was just no way that my parents were going to get me golf clubs. My family growing up was like middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, we 100 percent were not rich and we 100 percent were not poor. Um, my dad was a doctor, <clears throat> a psychiatrist, had his own private practice. But something like that was just not something that was really going to be in the cards for my family to go and spend six or $700 on golf clubs. And that's what they sort of cost at the time. Is that what yeah. they
0: cost even back then? Back then so yeah. Now,
2: yes. now they're more and, than And yeah. the funny thing is my son, Charlie, just started playing golf. Mm-hmm. And he's using the same clubs that I bought when I was 14. <laughs> no yes, way.
1: That's That's great.
2: I mean, I think I made for the entire summer $700, which if you break it down is like less than like a dollar an hour um, <laughs> these the summer camps. But it gave me what I wanted ultimately in the end. Yeah. So those were my first jobs.
1: <clears throat> I like that. Uh,
2: and they were great. And um, and then I started working at this sandwich shop in Chestnut Hill, which is like Newton Mass right outside of Boston. Yeah, I was um, going to say, tell us really and, quick where you grew yeah, where up. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you, you left that out. Where are you from? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So I'm, I'm from Boston, uh, almost Boston proper. I'm from Newton. Mm-hmm. Which is the one of the it's the first suburb of Boston. So Boston College is actually in Newton, Mass. So urban, but suburban. Yeah. Um, so when you say, like, what did I want to do as a kid? I think if I had to say one thing. Mm-hmm. Well, not I, I think I know if I had to say one thing for I, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. But I thought I was going to be a lawyer for like all the weirdest most random reasons. Sounds like a stable (laughs) job kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's like, I was like, here, this is a stable job where I'll (laughs) make a good living. I had tons of family who were lawyers. My two first cousins had their own law firm. I basically, I called them uncle because we were so close. My real uncle was a lawyer. It just seemed like, oh, that's what you do in our family. Mm -hmm. You just become a lawyer. And that sounds like a great profession. And it really wasn't until years later, years later that I I actually went and spent an entire semester in Washington, D.C. in a law program at American University my junior year that I realized the last fucking thing in the world I want to do <laughs> is be a lawyer. I mean, you couldn't literally find something that is more unappealing to who I am as a human being, what I want to do with my life, my yep. interests than that. But for <laughs> this forever, for this long path, even through high school, through the, be- the first couple years of college, I was like, oh, I'm just going to be a lawyer. When this is done, I'll go to law school what I do today was not even in my anywhere in my mind and my thought process and really any aspect of what I was doing to prepare for what I do today. It just didn't exist. Or like how
0: you were raised, like the, the things that were around you, that your interests as a kid. Like literally
2: nothing. I went to a small, uh, small liberal arts college. Uh, There was two film classes that you could Mm -hmm. take in the entire college. I would say it wasn't until I was a senior in college that I finally started to figure out the entertainment industry in some aspect was appealing to me. And what was the the
0: catalyst to that? Was there a particular class you took? A movie, a a, a TV
2: show? What Right. When I was 14, my dad wanted to take an individual trip with my, with me and an individual trip with my brother. And he said, look, we can go anywhere in the United States that you want to go. We'll go for five days. Where do you want to go? And my brother was obsessed with the city of Seattle because I think he played on the Mariners in Little League. So he went to Seattle. <laughs> okay. And then I was, I don't know what it was, but I was always obsessed with Los Angeles. I think this idea of like Hollywood and the stars, it was very like intrinsically appealing to me. So Quite very I chose different than LA. Boston.
1: Very different than well, Boston, too.
2: Very, very different. Yeah, opposite. Super different. So I chose LA. <laughs> yeah. We came out here. My my cousin, my first cousin, Rachel, was an actress. Um, and we we I think we stayed with her or saw her a bit and, and we spent five days here. And I think that that was probably the catalyst for it all to me being like, I like it out here. In all honesty, it wasn't until uh, beginning of senior year, I, try, it was, I, was, I remember going to like the Office of Career Services at the college and just sort of like going through books and being like, what would interest me? Mm-hmm. You know, my dad always said to me, you know, y- you should try to do something that you enjoy. He's like, because lots of people don't end up working jobs that they ultimately enjoy. um, And you're going to pretty much work the rest of your life. So try (laughs) to find something, you know, that appeals to you. And I always like that always stuck with me. Um, So as I dove in trying to figure out what I wanted to do, that was always in the back of my mind. And again, it always came up like, wow, I would love to do something in the entertainment industry. But I mean. That was that is such like an a ridiculous statement at the time for myself because I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Right. You know, it's like it was it was beyond like it, it was as vague as you could ever get. And so, but broad. I guess. It, yeah. So but I guess it yeah. was ultimately a path, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of a path for me to follow. Yeah. And I ended up right out of college. I mean, I was one of these kids who was just motivated. I've never been one of these guys who's just I'm just going to kind of sit around Like I graduated, I remember I graduated from college on a Saturday in May and I moved to New York the following Monday. Like my big thing that I always tell my kids, I was like, I literally lived at home for one day after college. (laughs) That Sunday I lived at home, I guess Saturday night and Sunday. And then I was, and then I was, oh my God,
0: I was the same. I drove to LA four days after I graduated from college and never went home in between. I was like, nope, I'm done.
2: Yeah, same craving independence, craving the ability to set my own path and rely on nobody like yeah. that's always been like my career goal more than anything yeah. is how do I get to that place? Wait, it was I, my
1: p- Let me pause uh, really quick. Are sure. you are you were you into the entertainment industry because of the. How do I put this? Like the glitz and the glamour yes, of it, 100%. or or is it or okay?
2: Did, did, did you want to be it. an?
1: Was there any interest in like being an actor in it, or was it more just like you want to know? You wanted to be behind the scenes and like making Never, it happen.
2: Good, good question. Never mm-hmm. wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Never wanted. To be an actor. Um, so, so this is what I say. It's like I wanted to be behind the scenes, but I didn't really even know what that meant. Right. right. But so you're, fa- to, you're fascinated by how it worked. Yeah. Yeah. So I needed yeah. to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, so you know, through the Office of Career Services, I got this internship at this production company in New York city. Mm-hmm. Nice. And it was, and it was a post-production, um, company. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I did nothing at this production company. Uh, <laughs> I had no money and I couldn't afford really to live in New York. So I had a friend from college, Ben Tripp, who lived in the city with his parents. And I said to him, Hey, what do you think about me? Sort of, moving in <laughs> and he <laughs> couldn't have been nicer about it and his parents couldn't have been nicer. And I look back on it and it's like, it, yeah. it's so generous what they did yeah. for me. I literally lived on their couch for four months. I didn't really have anything. Like I didn't really even have the money to get on the subway every day. So I would walk through the park, you know, an hour to work each day. I mean, it's not like, I'm not like crying, like, Oh, woe is me. It was more just like, I just kind of had to make do with what I had. Yeah. And it wasn't the job that was an issue it was new york city that was an issue mm-hmm. for me it's
1: crazy it's a crazy city
2: i hated it yeah. I, I literally i hated living in new york it was so fast and hectic and crowded and hot and like every basically adjective of what i just yeah. was not looking for but the job was cool because even though i wasn't doing anything significant um it was a start and it sort of got me realizing like this is actually kind of fun what I see what they're doing. And it's funny enough, they were actually editing a TV show called Baseball Minnesota. It was just this random TV show following a minor league baseball team in Minnesota. And all wow. I did for them literally was like, get coffees and, uh, you know, all, a, a, the most menial stuff you could possibly imagine.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then after like, Two months of just making no money because it was a it was a free internship. I went to them and I was like, I have to make some money. So it went from working all week long for them to coming in on my Saturdays and Sundays and just sitting in you know an office and just logging baseball footage you know all day long. To be, but that actually almost made things worse for me. And I was like, I got, I got to get out of New York. I just got, I got to get out of New York. I I was like, I was in the office and I wasn't having like a panic attack (laughs) or maybe it was at the time. Like I wasn't (laughs) sure what was going on, but suddenly I was really unhappy, like breathing heavily. I was like, I got to get out of this office. I went outside and I called my dad and I said, dad, I hate it here. I was like, I I think I'm going to move to LA. And just like, I knew exactly what his reaction would be. And this was the best part of my dad. I mean, my dad died when I was 25, but I remember I knew what his reaction would be, which was 100% support. And, that is, that's, exactly the, and that's exactly what I got from him. He's like, dude, just come home. He's like, forget it. He's like, go to LA. He's like, pack your car and go. And it's, it was that push that I needed. It's like, I knew I wanted yeah. to do it, but it was that total support of mm-hmm. go live your life that I think I needed to hear from him that just changed everything for me. I remember that day, I walked home. I stopped at a barber shop. I went in. I said, shave my head. I'm like, I want, like, literally, I want, like, a buzz cut. And the the barber wouldn't do it at the time, actually. He's like, it's too drastic. It's too dramatic. We'll take some of it off. I was like, shave my head. I was like, I want, like, I just want to, like, a change. So I, like, shaved off all my hair, went home to the family I was staying with. They were like, are you okay? I was like, I'm (laughs) good. I was like, I'm good. Just so you guys know, I love you so much. Thank you so much for opening your house to me. I'm leaving Friday. This is like
0: your rebirth story. Literally. I was yeah. like
2: 21 years old. It's like my first rebirth. I'm like, I'm leaving Friday. They're like, where are you going? I'm like to LA. They're like, what are you going to do there? I'm like, I have no idea. Uh-huh. Um, my best friend in college and I had always sort of talked about someday going to LA. I called him up. I was like, dude, I was like, I'm going. He's like, I'm coming. And I was like, amazing. Another friend of his ended up joining us. And then the three of us but on September 1st, we just set out in my car and we took an entire month to drive across the U.S. and wow. see the entire U.S. That's and we great. just arrived in L.A. October 1, 1996. Before I left um, Five, Finger, it's called Five Fingers Productions, the owner, who I really only spoke to a few times when I was there because I was like I was lower than a PA there. I was like I'm just an intern. <laughs> Gary Cohen. I remember him pulling me in his office and said, hey, man, I, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for the heads up. Thank you for staying the final two weeks before we replace you. Uh, he goes, and he handed me a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And on that piece of paper, there were 10 names. One to 10. Uh, of people he was going to basically give me their information of people who lived in Los Angeles, who he was associated with as a producer. And he said, this is going to, this is just a list to get you started when you get out there. And I was like, super appreciative. Uh, in the back of my head, I was like, ah, I've already got a job when I get there. Like, this is yeah. going to be so great, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Little did I know what I was ultimately in for when I when I finally arrived and started making those phone calls. So I did, I arrived in LA and I just went straight down the list. And the first guy on the list was Mike Tolan. Now that name might sound familiar to you. Mm -hmm. He's a huge producer. Uh, He at the time was doing a show called Arliss on HBO. He's done all these huge sports movies uh, and they, it, you know, Gary was really into the sports world, obviously, because he was doing this baseball show. Mm. Um, and I and I remember calling his office and saying, hi, I got your name from Gary Cohen. My name's Alex. Katz. explaining who I am. He's like, come and meet with me. I'll do anything for Gary. I was like, amazing. I get in there, sit down at his desk. He starts asking about myself. I start telling him who I am. And he just listens. And I sort of tell him what I ultimately want to do, which is still unlike. I don't know, you know, but I'm still like, hey, I want to do something. I just need a start. And I'll never forget. He looked at me. He's like, Alex, you seem like a really nice guy. He's like, but you are maybe the least qualified person who's ever come into my office. He goes, you are not even qualified to be a PA for us. And a PA is the absolute lowest job that we could possibly offer you. He goes, even my PAs, you know have more experience than you do. He's like, I want to help you, but I just, I can't. He's like, I literally, he's like, I can't. I can't do anything for you. And I remember going back, I I think at the time we were still looking for an apartment to live in. And I was living on my friend's, my the one guy I knew in LA's floor. And I remember being like, what the fuck am am I gonna do? What have I done? (laughs) Like I've just arrived in LA. I think this is my number one contact. And I've just been told that I literally am not qualified enough to get coffee. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, I gotta regroup here. Got and to I the went, drawing and board. I, <laughs> and I went straight down that list, yeah. and one through nine were strikeouts, one after another after another. And the ninth guy on that list was a guy named Mike Weiss. So at the time, '96, Fox Sports Net had just started, mm. um, and again, most of these people that he, on the list were sports related. And I love sports. So I was like, okay, this, you know, it all worked out. And I remember calling Mike and telling him who I was. He's like, Oh my God, I haven't heard from Gary Cohen. And you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, listen, let me see what I can do. And like, you know, I was naive to think like, this guy's going to help me out. And you know, he did. Uh, And what he did was he got me an interview at Fox sports. I think it was Tom Riley. I sat and I went in there and he started quizzing me on sports and I, I passed with flying colors because besides baseball cards, girls, and like, you know, my job, all I cared about was sports. Like that was that was it. So he asked me all these questions about sports, and he's like, I like you. He's like, I'm gonna give you a job. It was November 1st now. So I'd been there a month in LA. And I remember calling my mom and saying, and my dad, and I was like, I got a job. And that was the that was sort of the first job that I ever got on my own. own. And the beginning of the path to ultimately what I was going to do with my life.
0: Hey guys. So I just wanted to chime in here really quick. If your career currently consists of getting people coffee, I just want you to take a moment and be appreciative of that. Think about it. Getting people coffee, providing them with a warm cup of joe first thing in the morning, giving them something that really makes them happy. Sets their day up for success. What you're doing matters and it's probably going to lead to something way cooler. So just get that coffee and uh, maybe get one yourself. Stick with it.
2: The job was as a, it wasn't a PA, it was actually a DA, which was a desk associate, um, which basically meant I was working on the sports desk. Uh, Fox Sports Net was very similar to like Sports Center or mm-hmm. ESPN. Yeah. And I was working on the sports desk and I spent almost the entirety of my day ripping scripts. So we were doing a one-hour TV show, like, like a sports center. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was a director, a producer, you know, an AD, et cetera, uh, the talent. They and they all had a different color, like it was like six or seven ply colored paper that would print on this huge printer. And you would literally separate them into six piles for all of them. And then just hand them the scripts. And when they made a change in the when they made a change to the copy or the 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 broadcast, they would reprint it. And like all day long, all I did was rip scripts and deliver them. Uh-huh. Uh, and the highlight of my day, I remember, would at one one time a day, I would go into the into the control room because uh-huh. that's where everyone was. And I remember walking into the control room as a twenty one year old, and just being. Blown away by what was going on. There was like a thousand TVs. And yeah, all these people with headphones and mics and screaming and you know directing. And I was like. Oh, this is so cool. It's like
1: seeing an airplane cockpit for the first say, time. It's like mission <laughs> that's a mission control. Analogy. Yeah. yeah, totally.
2: Wow oh my God, that's a perfect analogy. It's wow. literally like seeing an oh. airplane cockpit. I was just wowed by it. And I was like, oh my God, how am I ever gonna get into this room? What do yeah. these guys do? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and I was dying to learn it all, and I just was so green. Yeah, yeah. I just had no idea what was sort of ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did that for eight months. <laughs> The the guys who I had moved out here with bailed after one year. One year to the day, my buddy Benji and and Kyle, they were like, we're fucking out of here. We hate L.A. (laughs) And they just they took off. And fortunately, I'd made some really good friends who are still to this day my best, best friends in the world. And we all moved in together in Santa Monica and we all worked at Fox. Um, And what the other guys that I moved in with, they were P.A.s. So the big difference between a D.A. and a P.A. were the P.A.s were actually watching sports games cutting highlights like it was a thousand times better than what i was doing um and i was like Ooh, how do i become a pa and i realized it actually wasn't super hard to go from being a d.a to yeah. a va <laughs> the same you know same pay scale seventeen thousand yeah. five hundred dollars a year that's what we all made <laughs> yeah. we all made that we all lived in a four-bedroom place in santa monica and barely survived but like we were awesome. all on the exact same path. I've always had this idea of, I don't wanna jump any steps. And that's what's so ironic. Sorry, I'm just gonna segue for a second out of this. I love this. it. Because like, <laughs> I mentor a lot of kids um, um, through either the college or people that I know. And it just seems like everyone wants to start in a place that is so much farther yeah. along than where they should be starting. And and the advice I always give is like, don't don't jump any steps. like. You, you, gotta, you have to do all of these steps in order to get to, to ultimately where you want to get to, or mm-hmm. else you're probably going to ultimately fail and yeah. maybe even be turned off by it all. Um, but I've always been driven to only stay in that step that I'm in as long as I need to. Mm -hmm. And that's been sort of like my little like ace up my sleeve as far as me just mentally has always gone is I just would I refuse to be complacent. Uh, Do you
0: feel like you always knew when it was time to ask for what you deserved or for what was next? Like you knew that.
2: Exactly. I think Mm -hmm. that that, that's exactly it. I mean, Mm -hmm. like I just was like, okay, I've done this job long enough. I know how to do this job. There's nothing else in this job for me except for the paycheck. How do I get to the next thing? Mm-hmm. And that's been truly the sa- I've had the same mentality my entire career to, to, to this day mm-hmm. is what's the next step? I'm 21 years old. I'm living in Santa Monica. All my friends have the same jobs. We work from three to 11. That's those are our hours. I mean, it's like That's a deal. great we get home. <laughs> oh my God, are you kidding me? It's like we get home at 11, we have dinner at 11 together, we play yeah. cards all night, party all night, go to bed at three in the morning, wake up at noon, have lunch, go to work. I mean, this it was like, like a this dream. Is the best <laughs> It's like, yeah. this, this sounds, I mean, and it can't get your t- better. And by the way, and then when I go to work, I'm watching a Red Sox game or a Bruins game. I'm writing out the highlight and then I'm going home and watching, you know, some big sports anchor like Keith Olbermann read the highlight that I just wrote and, uh, and cut like together. I'm yeah. like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, so you really fell into a pretty like,
1: good one. That's pretty amazing if you think yeah, about it. Yeah. Being, a, being a sports fanatic like you exactly.
2: are. Exactly. It, you it's crazy. couldn't have found a better job. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like, because it was so great, I was like, I was motivated to figure out how do I stay in this thing that I love so much, but also not just be a PA forever. Like what's the next step? What's the next step? And And we all started to sort of figure out, you know, working there and really learning the, beginning to learn the industry, what the other options for all of us were. Did I want to go the producing route, et cetera? It took me very little time to realize the sort of the first true moment of this is what I want to do with my life. 22 years old, I think, I'd probably been there, maybe 23 at this point, I'd been there for a little while. And what I really loved the most about all the stuff that I was doing was when I went into the edit bay. Mm -hmm. I would go into the edit bay, sit next to an editor who was right next to me, in these days, and this is this dates this dates me for sure. Like, we when the editing wasn't Avids; it was tape to tape. It wasn't VHS like analog. It was it was um, digital. So it was digital tape to tape editing, but it was technically like like a VHS you know, cassette, like that's how you, you basically went from one machine to a next and you laid all the stuff down. So it was, it was, a whole different editing system mm-hmm. than we're used way to Way more today. time
1: consuming, I would assume. Oh, right? way more time yeah, consuming, more.
2: but for live TV, the, the, a great way to ultimately do it. Yeah. Um, and I realized the thing I love the most is being in this edit bay. I just mm. love it. Um, I, and I, I would, I would sit there and watch the editors, you know, punch their buttons and basically create the tape and like pop the tape at the end. And I'd be like, that's so amazing what they're doing. Yeah. That was Do, the moment for me that I was like, I want to learn how to be an editor. You
1: liked all the buttons and the things, or if it was more like you, you wanted to be able to cut together a story, like that. What, I was just curious to know which was, or both, I don't
2: know. No, that it was 100% the story of it all. The story of it. In fact, I would still to this day consider myself completely technologically okay. inept. Um, <laughs> now I, I'm not really, I, you know, I kind of play it up a little bit, but I mean, I've never been super techn- technologically uh, savvy in yeah. any way. So in fact, that was, that's what, that was the part that scared me the most. Okay,
1: interesting.
2: It, the storytelling was the easy part for me. Like this is, I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is what I want to do. I know I can do this. Mm. Now I have to figure out how to basically learn the technology to actually do it. And then I was like, again just being me i was like how do i become an editor and i remember talking to my friends and they're like dude you're never going to get a job as an editor like those guys have been doing this forever i'm like no nah, i want to be an editor and i was determined and i would i would sit with the editors at night and i would talk to them and i i remember a buddy of mine i i remember asking him i said who who's your boss here like who's your boss and they're like it's this guy jn Antonos," and i was like Okay. But who is he? They're like, he's on the first floor. I'm like, what I've ever seen him. They're like, no, no, no. You've never probably seen him. I'm like, dude, you got to, you've got to point him out to me one day. And one day, you know, a couple months later, I was with a friend and they're like, that's the guy you've been asking about. That's Jay. I'm like, oh, that's Jay. I'm like, I've seen him in the halls before. They're like, he's super nice. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, that's your boss. And then I just kept on putting my head down and doing my job. And then one day, I am literally, I'll never forget it. I am walking in the hallways of Fox Sports Net. And I came around the corner and I didn't run into, but like right there is this guy, Jay Antonos, And I said, this is my shot right here. Uh, And I, and I, and I said, Hey, I'm like, are you Jay Antonos? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) He's like, I am. He's like, who are you? I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, my name's Alex. I'm like, you know, a friend of mine pointed you out to me, uh, pointed you out to me. They told me that you're, you know, you're in charge of hiring all the editors. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Jay, I really want to be an editor. And he's like, Oh, great. He's like, you know, I'm super friendly. He's like, great. He's like, we're actually looking for editors. He's like, where have you been working before? And I was like, Oh, I was like, that's the thing. I was like, (laughs) I've never edited anything. And he, and he laughed. He's like, he's like, you've never edited anything? I'm like, no. I'm like, like literally, like I've never edited anything ever in my life. He goes, well, why do you want to be an editor? I'm like, I just know that I'd be good at it. And I just, I'm super interested. And I kind of told him the same story I told you. I'm like, I just love it. And I'm like, is there any way that you guys have sort of a program that you know would train people? And he's like, not really. He's like, but I do like you. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, how? I'm like, I'm like, you've got to tell me, like, how do I become an editor? And I was super aggressive. I remember being like super aggressive, not mean in like or like Exciting. too much, but more just like passionately aggressive yeah. about mm-hmm. wanting to do this. And I and I struck something with him. He was a really nice man to this day. I I love Jay Antonos and. I remember saying to him, I'm like, I can learn it. I'm like, I know I can learn it. I'm like, the problem is I'm not allowed to touch anything because of all the (laughs) union rules. He's like, no, you can't touch anything. I'm like, but I know that I can learn it, Jay. I'm like, please. I'm like, you've got to give me a chance. And I remember him saying to me, he said, Alex, he's like, here's the deal. He goes, see what you can learn on your own. He goes sit with the editors, spend extra time every night, see what you can learn on your own. He goes, I know I'm going to run into you again. He goes, next time I run into you, he's like, we'll just see, we'll we'll have another conversation and just see. And lo and behold, I did exactly what he told me. I went and I sat with the editors late at night. You know, I suddenly instead of getting home at eleven, I was getting home at two. You know, I was doing like a a little of the grunt work for them. I did touch the equipment a little bit, even though I wasn't allowed to, because I had all these friends who were editors. And maybe a month later, I'm coming out of the bathroom. And Jay's on his way into the bathroom. And I was like, Jay. And he's like, and he remembered my name. He's like, Alex, how are you? I was like, I'm good, man. He And I'm like, he's like, so? He's like, what have you learned? And I was like, I've learned. <laughs> and I just spewed every single editing term I could possibly come that came out of my head. Anything I'd learned. I'm like, I learned how to do dissolves and like all this stuff. And I just remember him sitting there smiling at me. He's like, Alex. I, I, he actually said these words he's like, you're awesome. He goes, I'm going to train you. Damn. and that was like this that was probably the the most life-changing moment of my entire career yeah. because as you as you know I mean I went on to become an editor I went and mm-hmm. got my you know my master's in film editing, like editing was a huge part of my life. And that's how I basically started in the editing world. And the best part about the whole thing was I went from making $17,500 a year to, are you sitting down, $31,000 a year? So I was literally like Mr. Monopoly money with all my <laughs> friends. Like I was like, drinks on me. I had so much more money than everyone else. And it was $31,000. I mean, it was crazy. Which is only
0: like twenty two. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's
2: like I mean, I was I was literally rolling in it, and life was great. And I really took to editing. I That's loved amazing. it, and I and I, I was true to my word to what I said to Jay. I really cruised up the ladder very quickly. Mm-hmm. Within a year, I was cutting the biggest highlights. Like I remember, I did the Super Bowl. Like the, wow, the, the, I cut the Super Bowl highlight for Fox Sports. Like I was doing the biggest. Events that were going on because not only did I have the experience of being a producer, you know, of producing the highlights, now I was really like the ultimate storyteller doing both ends of it. And I I really was, I really was successful uh, for the first time in my life at a pretty young age in this little pocket of what I was ultimately doing
1: one uh, question sure. to follow up on this and Ste- you'll notice that Steph and I always ask very different questions. She tends sure. to ask the spiritual stuff and I tend to yeah, ask yeah. the more uh, craftsmanship. There's so much more to this story. I'm sorry. I'm uh, not even letting no, you guys ask any
0: questions. Are you kidding? Keep my, question, going.
1: my question is for you is um, editing is a really tricky thing because you have to be able to spot a moment out of hours and hours of footage that is sort of summarizes it all. Yeah. Uh, and that's a skill that I, how did you know you were good at it? I mean, were, did you write stories when you were young or?
2: I don't know. I, no, it wasn't from anything I did when I was young.
1: So you were never um, a short story writer or you never no, like drew I wasn't or, a story writer. Or, I
2: loved story. I loved, loved st- movies. Okay. I loved, I, I, I definitely loved stories, but I yeah. wasn't really creating them on my own. I wasn't one of these kids who was, you know, had these you know, imaginary worlds and going out and like, yeah. even like putting together my own movies as kids. Nothing like that. I just, had an eye for it.
1: What about um, Oh, I, but I, you are a massive sports fan though. That, yes. that's the other thing is you fell into this because you were a sports fanatic and only sports fanatics can spot being like a, being like a sports that junkie you're so able that's to the see. Answer. So okay. be, Being
2: a sports junkie and yeah. understanding sports, truly understanding sports. Loving it. Yeah, and loving it was why I was good at it. Okay, because I understood the cutaways, I understood the building, the drama of a situation. Sure, you know how long you should hold on this shot, which is just long enough that you're like, "What's going to happen?" Like, I I I just got it because I watched sports my whole life, and it was just something that came extremely naturally to me. Mm -hmm. Um, is is was that was that type of storytelling? Right. Um, and it's funny too because then I started to think eventually I started to think, okay, what's beyond this type of storytelling? Right. So that's when I really started falling in love with just the idea of telling stories, being yeah. creative, figuring out ways to do things differently. Um, and I would experiment a lot in, the, in, in in those early days. You know, hey, normally you would do, you would do the, a shot, something like this after this. But what if I did this and I did like a little montage of things in here? And that's when I started to get noticed for what I was ultimately doing. And they were yeah. like, all right, this guy's actually, a, you know, trying to be creative here. Yeah, um, trying to, you know, mix things up think outside of the box. And that's I think why I ultimately was, you know, chosen to do these big events, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, being such a fan. It was it was it was like, I can't even believe that I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> it was that mentality.
0: But you have the get you have like so many things naturally going for you, like just from knowing you as a friend, like like the gift of being able to make an impression, like right off the bat to pretty much everybody you meet, I would imagine. And then that was a big question for me, which we are, you already nailed is like, how does storytelling work into your process? Because you are an incredible storyteller. Now, maybe like what you're saying is like, you weren't a creative writer as a young kid or whatever, but that came to you after sort of figuring out how the magic of editing works and that you can kind of tell a story in your own way, after the reality has already happened. It's incredible. Yes,
2: and that's a really good question, Steph. And and I'll be honest, it's like, that's just a natural gift that I have, just as a human being. It's funny, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm not really great at anything. Like, I'm really, it's like, when you break it down, like, I'm not like a superstar in anything. But like, the one thing that like, I'm really good at is I'm a people person. Mm -hmm. And I can talk to anybody. And, you know, I can engage anyone Anyone at any time. And that's, uh, and I've been like that since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but, a- anyways, the long and short of it is like, I, I, I loved what I was doing. But again, I'm, I was just, I could, I would refuse to be complacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while all my friends were like, dude, we are living large right now, there is nothing better than this. And I was like, yeah, I agree. But what's next? Yeah. And how do I parlay what I'm really good at in the sports world? and really see if there's something beyond this. And at that point, I was really into editing. Um, and I was like, I have to learn basically the Avid um, mm-hmm. because that was the future. And I, had, I saw the future changing at Fox Sports. I saw the tape to tape as sort of like almost like menial editing and mm-hmm. the real the packages and the big stories and the features that were being done were being done with the Avid editors. Yeah. So I was like, how do I, how do, I do that? So I actually was like, well, I'll start taking, I'll take a course and I took an Avid course um, and it was challenging for me, um, for sure. I did not take to it naturally. The editing part, the storytelling part, no problem. No problem. But the, tech, the technology mm-hmm. behind it was a struggle for sure. But, it was a, but I think that I basically assessed the situation. I said, look, while I'm not really picking this up like, like I want to be, I think I can still do this and not have the technology impair me from what I ultimately want to do. Yeah, and then I, on a on truly a whim, was like, I'm going to apply to film school. And I was 25 years old. I was going to say, work, when I, is
0: this? Like 98. So this 99? is no, no,
2: So this is yes. Exactly. This is 1999. Okay. So 99, I'm going to apply to film school and. Even though I have really no qualifications to get into film school, I'm like, I'm gonna do it because I feel like if I get that degree and I take that next step, it's gonna lead me on a path. I don't know what that path's gonna be to success down the line. And that was like my only th- mentality. Yeah. At this point, um, my dad was very sick, very, very sick. And I was sort of going back and forth from LA to Boston. Um, I remember having this conversation with my dad and he's like, you you have to stop like c- going back and forth. Like, he's like, mm-hmm. you, you have to stay there. He's like, you're going to make me miserable. If you just, if you give up everything that you're going for to just sit here with me. And it was very, it was a very trying time emotionally for me. Um, just as a human <laughs> yeah. being mm-hmm. um, this is before FaceTime I, or I, any of
1: this video stuff too. Yeah. So you, you, yeah, the only way yeah. to see them is to go there. Yeah,
2: exactly. I'm so far away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it motivated me. And it's like, I saw like my dad dying and mm. I was like, look, I, I, I want to do something with my life. Him being super sick even motivated me more to like go after those things that I wanted. Cause it's like, I saw my dad work his whole life, um, six days a week. He worked literally from the day I knew him till the day he died. He mm. never stopped. He never took a break. He never retired. Mm. I was like, I don't really want that. I want to find something that I love. Um, but I, but I, and I was just like super motivated to like figure that out, that mm-hmm. piece of my life out. More than anything. So not only was like, oh, I'll apply to film school, but I'm like, let me just apply to the best film school. (laughs) And I only applied to one film school. It was American Film Institute, AFI. Mm -hmm. It was known as one of the great film schools out there. I knew they only accepted 10 people to the editing program. (laughs) And I was like, there's just no way I'm gonna get in, but I'm gonna fucking apply regardless. And I remember as I was filling out the application, I was like, okay, I gotta do something super creative here Mm -hmm. because I know that way more appealing qualified. candidates will be there. <laughs> but wait hold, but you, you were
1: editing Super Bowl th- things though, right? I mean come on that doesn't that count? For so any? it's like I had a
2: slight tape of like sports highlights, but like the people who are going oh, to they, film yeah, school right. are like doing short films mm-hmm. or they've Sorry. been working in the film industry for like the last 5 years or right. 10 years. Most of the people at AFI come back in their 30s. Mm-hmm. Like even in your 20s is young. I mean it's it's a it's a post grad program. Sure. And I remember the 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 way that the that the that the application was set up was they really wanted like a backstory on your whole life and I remember I took this four page document that I wrote and I cut it up into uh, sections of my life and sort of what I had been through and I laminated them and I <laughs> shuffled them up and I said I say I said you can edit my life however you want I'm like. I'm like, I'm like, I said, feel free to edit my life wherever you want. No matter how, what order you put this in, it will all make sense.
1: Damn. Wow.
2: And um, and I just sent the application off. Mm-hmm. And like maybe eight months later, or six months later, I can't remember what it was. I went out to the mailbox and there's this super th- thin envelope from AFI. Um, th-
1: thin envelope is bad, right?
2: Having worked in admissions in college, I was like, thin envelopes bad. <laughs> and I yeah. and I opened it up and they're like, we were, congratulations. We'd like to offer you a spot for the class of 2020. You know, no, sorry. 2002. 2000. 2002. Because oh, I started in 2000. Like we'd offer, And I was like, oh my God. And then my entire life was just thrown. I mean, like completely thrown into the air. And I was like, holy shit. I got into AFI. What's next?
0: How are you going to make um, money? How are you going to survive? All that.
2: Yes. Everything mm-hmm. you just said. like, and, and that was all that was on my mind is like, how am I going to do this? I sat down with my best friends. And I was like, guys, I'm moving out. And they're like, what are you (laughs) talking about? You're moving out. I'm like, guys, I'm moving out. I'm like, I'm moving to Hollywood and I'm going Mm -hmm. to film school. They're like film school. What? Like, they're literally like, what are you talking about? And I told them, I'm like, I applied. I got in. I'm like, I'm moving to Hollywood and going. And that was the beginning of really like probably the the two most intense years of my life, Mm -hmm. because um, for a number of reasons, one exactly what you just said, Steph was, how am I going to survive? How am I going to make money? How am I going to live? The AFI is a full-time grad school. This is not, and they tell you that when you go. They're like, you cannot work on the side. You're going to be here eight to 10 hours every day, five mm-hmm. days a week. Like there's no job you can have to support yourself, at, at, you know, when you're there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And my parents were super supportive. Um, and then my dad died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was terrible. It was, I mean, I was 25 years old. I was just sort of beginning this next path. And, you know, I, my world was once again, just completely turned upside down. Um, But I stuck with it. um, And I knew that my dad would want me to stick with it. And I did. Um, And it was really, really hard, just emotionally. But then once I sort of got through like that part of it, I remember just thinking, I'm just going to have to do the things that I, you know, that anyone would do. I'm going to have to take out loans. I'm going to have to figure out how to do this, you know, eating. I mean, truly like eating ramen every night, like just as little money as I surviving. Surviving is the perfect way. I was surviving. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's like I've always been, you know, you said it, Steph, so I'll I'll, I'll piggyback it. It's like I've always made an impression Mm -hmm. no matter where I go. And again, I would say I was probably the least talented of the 10, talented of the 10 editors in the program, but I was 100% the one editor that every single director at the school wanted to work with (laughs) because there was more than just the actual tech technology of the editing there was the full package of who i am what i'm going to contribute the creativity the storytelling all of that and i went to them and i said look i'm like i'm going to apply for several grants and and i'm going to be totally honest with you and i'm not saying this for any other reason that i'm like barely surviving i'm like if i don't get one i'm not i'm not going to return for my second year and i got one oh, uh, awesome. and i got a 10 i got ten thousand dollars Ten thousand out of the seventeen, and I was like, you know what? I can make that work. I can yeah. figure out a way to make that work. And I returned for my second year, and um, and I thri- I really thrived there, and I made amazing relationships, and I learned so much about editing. Uh, by the time I got out of there, I was a whiz on the Avid. I was the technology was no longer intimidating to me. It was truly, truly the best decision I ever made in my entire life should we take a commercial break no <laughs> well,
1: oh, we, we, do, we, we do commercial breaks <laughs> oh, do, this, yes, is really yeah. this is really fun this is
2: really hold on let me say then Look. was the next huge turning point in my <laughs> career
1: perfect <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna record a little commercial on my phone because I can't go down to my studio because I'm looking after the kids and I can't escape. But you should rate and review our podcast. Because it does help some other people who have no idea what they want to do with their lives. Man, <laughs> go back to the podcast. I, yeah. We really should have done this a while ago. This should have been our first one because then I, sh- I could have learned all these editing tricks.
2: What's wrong with us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: what year yeah. What year is this? Here grad- You've graduated AFI in what year?
2: Beginning of 2002. I have a good, good friend, uh, Sandy Johnson, who is a dear, dear friend, still is, love her to death. She called me up and said, she knew what that I was like, Dying with, like, making no money living in L.A., you know, at that time. And she's like, look, she's like, I'm working on this new thing called a reality show. And I literally was like, what's a reality show? I mean, this is, besides the real world, there were no reality shows in 2001. This was the beginning of the boom. They were just beginning. The survivors, like, all those shows were just in their infancy. And then, like, these other ones started popping up. And she said, look, I'm working on this show called The Bachelor.
0: Oh, geez. (laughs) And I was like, what's The
2: Bachelor? She's like, it's the first season of it. And she explained to me what it was. She's like, look, she's like, I know you're not supposed to work while you're in school, but we need some editors at night to come and finish the first season. And I was like, yes, anything. I was like, literally anything. At that point, I was like, I think cutting my second thesis film. I had the time for Mm. sure to like start working. And I was about to dive in anyway. So I kind of cheated the system a little bit even though we weren't supposed to be working. I was like, all right, I literally take any job. And this is actually a great story because this just goes to show that even at this point, I'm I'm just about to graduate from one of the top film schools really in the country. And I still don't know shit about anything. (laughs) Uh, And this story just explains how little And how naive, really, I was to really still what was going on in this industry that I would eventually really, you know, take off in. This is what we always
0: talk about: fake it to make it. Like that's That's the way it is, man.
2: Here is a fake it to make it story (laughs) for you. So Sandy says, "Okay, this guy Scott Jeffress, who also is still a dear friend, who I love, who I recently spoke to." calls me up. He's like, he's going to call you and you're going to make the deal. And you're going to fit in. And she's like, literally like, we want you to start tonight. I was like, tonight. She's like, literally tonight. Like we need people right now. I was like done anything. So he calls me up and I remember answering the phone and I I walked outside of the editing building at AFI. And he's like, this is Scott. And I was like, Hey Scott, nice to meet you. He's like, "Ah." he's like, I don't really like, you know, film school kids. And he was like really like like, it. He's like, but (laughs) Sandy swears by you. He's like, so he's like, so tell me, you know, what have you been doing? I told him he's like, I, he's like, I'm just kind of kidding around. But like, he's like, look, we do need night editors. He's like, would you be willing to come in and help us? I was like, absolutely. He goes, all right, we got to talk about your rate. And at the time, I'm like kind of thrown for a loop when he says that. I'm like, what's my rate? So all I can think back to is my previous experience at Fox (laughs) where I'm making, I'm I'm, remember I'm rolling in it, making $17 an hour or something like that. I'm like, this is amazing. Cause my friends are making like, you know, eight bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. So he goes, he goes, so what's your rate? And I'm like, ah, ah, I'm like, um, and I'm like literally like fumbling. I don't know what to say. And I'm like, and I literally say to him, the dumbest thing you could ever say. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, what's the going rate these days? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what's the going rate these days? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what are you, what do you, what are you, uh, what are you offering people? Cause I don't know what to say. Yeah. yeah. You know, and he says to me, he goes, ah, uh, he goes, I don't know. It's like, usually like between 20 and 25. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, $25 an hour? <laughs> like, I'm like, uh. I'm like, so I'm like, Cha-ching. might as well go high. I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm like, I guess 25 works for me. And then he goes, he goes, perfect. He goes, you're locked in at 2,500 a week. And I literally dropped my phone. I was like, holy fuck. I was like, literally, I was like, holy fuck, holy fuck. I can't even believe this. And I laugh about it today, about how <sighs> stupid I probably sounded and he probably knew it, but I was like, this is the true first turning point in my in my life.
0: Damn, aren't you so glad you asked him what the going rate was? Oh my God, no, thank oh God man. I
2: did. <laughs> <laughs> thank God I did. But beyond that, I'm like, I, I saw like, it was all worth it in that moment. In that moment, right there, standing outside. uh, I remember where I was standing. I was like, all this work that I just did, all the struggle, all the like ramen noodles, it's like right now in this moment, my life has changed. I was super intimidated at first because it was my first job, but I just was like, dude, you gotta like figure this shit out. You gotta put the extra time and figure out how to like be successful at this. Someone once said to me, I don't really believe in luck like we make our own luck. And I don't super believe that either, but I do believe in timing. Mm-hmm. Timing <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Timing 100%. for sure. Timing. And like the timing was just perfect for me because the reality boom was just beginning. Yeah. And I was in it on the ground floor. And uh and I was young too, really young. I was only 25 years old. And I just, I just Dove in, like I said, and I edited every single big network TV show that you can imagine for the next five years. Wow! I think I did nine seasons of The Bachelor, Jeez. and then I did another. I did another show there.
1: Any guilt, in, uh, and we can edit this out if you feel sure. uncomfortable talking no, about no it. Problem. But is there any guilt in working on a show like The Bachelor? This is just personally speaking. I don't. It's like a great the question. Bachelor. No, and by the way, it's um, a great
2: question. Uh, I never guilt. Never guilt. There was one show that I did. Um, Mm -hmm. called Strip Search for VH1, which was about uh, an all-male strip group of um, Australian men who basically were like Chippendales dancers.
1: (laughs) Thunder from Down Under?
2: Thunder, that's it. Thunder from Down Under. Thank you. You you nailed it. I couldn't remember what the word was. That show wasn't my favorite that I've ever worked on. (laughs) Um it wasn't like it, it, it didn't really, you know, move the needle really for any purposes for me whatsoever. But like yeah, there's a few where I'm like, ah, oh, it wasn't like my favorite thing I did. But in general, like I don't I don't look back and regret anything. Um you you do everything for a reason. You know, right. you end up yeah. on that show for a reason. And you look, it's like storytelling is storytelling, is what sure. it comes down to in the end. Yeah. You, you know, sometimes you get to tell really great, you know, interesting, you know, inspiring stories, and sometimes you don't. You know, yeah. subject matter, get subject matter. There. How do yeah. I tell this story? Yeah. But what was interesting was, and this leads to another major life-changing moment for me career-wise, mm-hmm. was I wasn't being, funny enough, I wasn't actually being paid what I should be being paid because I was young and, and I, I never really evened out. And I remember going and meeting with Scott and then I <laughs> sat down in his office and he said, what's going on? And I said, look, Scott, I'm like, you know, I've been here a while, I'm doing like, you know, Really good editing for you, I know. You got me on important shows. I was like, I would just like to be paid, you know, three thousand a week. And he and he and he took my bluff. And he's like, no. I was like, really? He's like, no. He's like, dude. He's like, you're paid. He's like, you're paid appropriately. He's like, I'm not going to give you that raise. Uh, and and pre pre meeting with him, I was already ready to get out of this company again. I'm all goes back to where we started. I was like complacency. I don't want to like, just, it's like, I've done, I've done these shows. I've done multiple seasons. I've built my resume, but I don't know anyone else. It's -hmm. like, and even though I'm a a well-known editor, I've only worked for Next Entertainment, you know, Mm -hmm. for like the last three years. So I got to branch out and get a new job with another company. So I had already on my own met with another company called Three Ball Productions. um, And I had a really great interview and they were like, dude, we'd love to have you here. And I was like, and I was like, all right, well, let me sort of figure out what's going on. And the minute that Scott said no to that raise, <laughs> I remember walking into Mike Fleiss's office and Mike Fleiss created the bachelor, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm also friends with these days. Uh, And I remember walking into his office and he's like, what's going on? And I was like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I've loved being here for three years, but this is going to, I'm like, this is going to be my final show for you guys. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to go and do some other stuff. He's like, you're not leaving. And I'm like, well, actually I am. And I'm like, and just so you know, I was like, I asked for a raise and I was, and I was told no, and that's okay that I was told no, but I just want to let you know, like, I'm I'm no, I'm going to go and do something else after this. And he gets all mad at me and he's like, get over here. And he calls in Lisa Levinson and Scott and they come in and he's like, what's going on? And I said, look, I was like, no, I was like, I, it's like, th- there's no disrespect whatsoever. I'm like, I'm just gonna go do something else. And he's like, no, you're staying here. And I said, no, I'm not. And he goes, oh yeah? He goes, I'm gonna pay you $3,200 a week. <laughs> and I'm like, I literally just went from an hour ago. <laughs> sitting down with someone saying, I'm not going to get the $100 that I want. Now he's offering me $3,200 a week. (laughs) And I don't know what came into me, got into me, but I literally was like, he could literally offer me whatever he wants and I'm not staying here. I'm like, I did it the right way. I was told no. I know it's time to go do something else. And it ended up, he ended up even offering me more. I think he offered me $3,400. I was going to be like the highest paid editor there. (laughs) Wow.
1: They really liked you.
2: And yeah. I was like, yeah. And I was like, no, I'm leaving. And I left. And he's like, you'll never work here again. Meanwhile, I came back like two years later and did like four more seasons of The Bachelor. For them. <laughs> but at the time it was like, yeah. holy fuck, I really burned a bridge here. Yeah. Uh, but I really wanted, like, I just knew it was time to go do something new. And yeah. thank God I did. And I went over to Three Ball Productions mm-hmm. and I dove in there and I did the same exact thing that I did at, at uh, Next. And I just did a bunch of shows for them. And then I had, you know, after working with them for years, again, it's like, Uh, it's like, I became like JD who owned the company, his favorite editor more because we just were like, we shoot the shit. He's just like, you know, he would always describe editors sort of like crumogyny and grumpy and weird and you know, like this and that. He's like, you're the opposite of all of those things. He's like just loved being in the edit bay with me. Uh, And he recognized that I wasn't like the best editor. He's like, you're an amazing storyteller. He's like, but you know, your editing's fine. But again, (laughs) like he wanted, like if he had a choice of who he could go in with, it was me. Yeah. Two years into being with him, I realized that the way that my brain worked and who I was and my techno- technological capabilities, I had literally reached the precipice of where I can go as an editor. Mm-hmm. I will never be one of these whizzes like that I, that, were, that were surrounding me. I'm like, I just, my brain doesn't work that way. Uh, and I realized I have to get out of editing. <laughs> And which is crazy to think that at the time, but I was like, I have to like, I have to have a fallback plan because I'm either gonna just sit as like this decent editor and make this living, which was great. It was a great living, uh, and but that's gonna be it. And if I wanna do anything beyond that, I'm never gonna be able to.
0: And that doesn't speak to like who you are anyway, like not a complacent person.
2: <laughs> right, like, yeah, just... exactly. So yeah. It, it, it it all made sense it for was sure. Never, it was yeah.
0: never gonna be that way for you. Right, exactly. Yeah.
2: And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm like, I have to create something that's my own. And I actually, in a way, I'm not saying that I created the position of, of post-co-EP you know, mm-hmm. in this industry, but I definitely was one of the first to sort of introduce the notion of this is a better way to do things. And I sort of, I took a, I took an assessment of what was going on at this company and JD's liking for me. And I realized, and I I, I was just like, I was like, look, This guy is running a massive company and he's spending five or six hours of his day, which is valuable hours, in screenings. Mm -hmm. He's screening a first cut, a second cut, a third cut. He's screening the final. like, he's constantly screening, giving notes, like nonstop. And I just, on my own, was like, you know what this guy needs? This guy needs someone to do all of that work for him Mm -hmm. so that he can come in one time, screen the final cut, give his notes, and then it's off to the network. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really exist at the time. So I went and I sat down with him in his office and I was nervous. I said, JD, here's what, here's my proposal. And I basically said exactly what I just said to you. I'm like, here's how it can make your life better. I'm like, it can create a position for me to do for you. I'm like, I wanna do this. I said, and, and I really want you to give me this chance. And he was intrigued. He's like, that sounds amazing. But no, it was yeah, literally, he's no. like, that sounds so amazing, but no. He's like, dude, you're an editor. He's like, that's what you are. He's like, I can't just suddenly make you like a producer on these shows. And I'm like, I know. I'm like, I get it's a It's a leap of faith. I totally get that. I'm like, but I'm telling you, I can A, do it. And B, you will never regret this decision. He's, yeah. like, I, he's like, I can't. He's like, I'm sorry. And at that moment, I, for the second time in three years, I quit on the spot. You're like, wow. <laughs> I literally, I said, JD, I was like, I'm going to finish out this show. And I was at the end of Biggest Loser at the time as an editor. And I said, JD, I said, I'm gonna finish out this season. And I'm like, and I just want you to know something. And I'm like, and, I'm, and I really want you to hear what I'm saying. I want this so badly that I'm gonna say to you right now, I will never under any circumstance ever edit here ever again. And he's like, Alex, what are you doing? He's like, you're <laughs> like throwing away your career. I'm like, no, I'm actually not throwing away my career. I'm like, I'll go edit elsewhere, but I will never edit at three ball ever again. Until you basically uh, 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 like if this uh, if you don't basically take this proposal mm-hmm. and he's like, you're killing me, you're breaking my heart. He's like, see ya. And I left. Wow. Damn. And I went and I did I, my, Sandy. I called up my whole reliable <laughs> Sandy. I was like, help. And she's like, oh, c- come to uh, Hell's Kitchen for me. And I hopped on Hell's Kitchen and I wasn't on Hell's Kitchen for two months when my phone rings from redondo beach and jd's on the other line and I, he starts the conversation with you fucker and i was like thank you i'm like jd how are you buddy he's like you fucker and i was like what's going on he's like come back
1: you're hired. he's like
2: i'm gonna make a position he's like we're gonna try it <laughs> and i finished up hell's kitchen and i went back there and he gave me an opportunity on a show called beauty and the geek Mm -hmm. Um, I did not write, not right on to biggest loser, but he gave me a shot on beauty and the geek and I crushed it for him. And he's like, this is amazing. I don't know why I haven't been doing this my whole career. And then he put me, made me a co-EP of biggest loser, even though I had no producing qualifications. And that literally was like the massive turning point for me from becoming really a very well known, established editor in the reality business to becoming a producer.
1: Um, you kind of jumped pretty quickly, um, over, You said something about uh, you wanted to go to film school and you were going to get into film. And then all of a sudden you just ended up in um, you pretty much exclusively did reality editing, you know, and and you never you never really got into like why you didn't transition into film. And Mm -hmm. is your company even doing film? And before you even start that question, I was curious to know at what point television became as glamorous as film do you know what i mean there was a, definitely a transition where all of a sudden it's like if you're in tv you're just as cool as a well fucking, now
2: it's the golden age yeah right? so that's a like, phenomenal sure. question and i have mm-hmm. a, and i have a really great answer for you mm-hmm. okay which is i think that there are people who will tell you that there is still a massive divide to be honest with you mm-hmm. between film and tv um, divide
1: sure but i i feel like they're on the same they're oh, like 100 I mean? like, percent no, like, sto-
2: here's a story for you when what my first day at afi we all gathered into the main uh, uh, cinema there where we, and, and there was the 100 kids who were there for that, and we talked about, what do you want to, what's your end goal for when you mm-hmm. get out of here? What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And when they got to me, <laughs> I said something that to this day, like there's never been a bigger gasp that you've ever <laughs> heard in your life, and it's very like, of course, I said it. They're like, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to edit really great TV." uh-huh." And it, it, I, I was like, I mean, it seems like an innocent enough comment. You know, I said, I want to break dramatic scripted TV. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, because we're at the American Film, Film Institute, Institute, you know, yeah. and, and, and my goal is to edit, you know, uh, Six Feet Under, you know, which is yeah. like, like these shows that I'm obsessed with. And yeah. it was so taboo to say that. But I stood by it and I remember saying that's amazing storytelling. Those are amazing stories. I know it's not a feature film, but it's great. And I, I've always had that mentality of like, it it is equal, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, when I went to AFI short of wanting to maybe edit great TV or this and that, I never had any intentions of becoming a reality TV, you know, Editor, producer, any of these things. I didn't even know what that was, to be honest with you, until I got that call from Sandy. I didn't even know what reality TV was. No one really did. And that was definitely not my intention. And there was a really part of me that was it was a very hard for me to acknowledge that I was going to be going into something so far off from what I ultimately wanted to do. Yeah. You know, it's like I wanted to edit six feet under. I wanted to edit mm-hmm. The Sopranos. I wanted yeah. to edit a, an amazing feature film. This is why I went and got my master's degree in film editing. And suddenly I'm doing something completely off track. But and yet
1: entirely related to how you started in the first place, which is editing mm-hmm. sports. It's right. exactly the exactly. same you know thing. Mean? And, and, so. and,
2: and, and, you know, in the end, I, I, like everything else, I just embraced it. Yeah. I said, look, right, I like, it's yeah. a yeah. job, embrace it. And then I, you know, in a way, I fell in love with it. Yeah. I really fell in love with it and I I was good at it and I, I I found something else just like you said with sports I found something else that I was good at I was yeah. good at telling stories this way so, well, Real life's
1: real life's fascinating you know what yeah. I mean and sports is yeah. fascinating like it is. It, best, it, the best the best stories of all time are in sports to me so like that makes yeah. perfect sense that, that you yeah. rolled yeah. right yeah. into there yeah. Like, yeah. Is um, a is a co-ep the same as a showrunner or is that a different title No, no.
2: so a showrunner is basically it, it's it's a different title it's right below the showrunner mm. So okay. Ultimately, what these shows, the reason that I say like they didn't really have co-EPs for post only was it was really like a showrunner for the entire show. So the way that these smaller reality shows were done was you'd go and shoot it. Excuse me. Once you shot everything, you'd come back and then you would edit it. But what was happening now was the was the invention of the big reality show, these huge shows that were not only shooting, but they were editing at the same time. They're going year round. So there was really no way to have just one person oversee the entire show. Right. Mm -hmm. They needed multiple people. And that's where I was like, look, you need someone in this position anyway. And that's where shows like Biggest Loser, um, you know, The Bachelor, like these huge, huge shows started to have more post focused Uh, executives on board. And that's Mm -hmm. where I sort of started as far as that goes. Eventually, uh, after multiple years of being a co-EP, I became an EP, which is essentially a showrunner. But I was never really considered the, 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 like, if you think of like a showrunner for these big shows, there's like a one and a two. I was never the one. The one was always production. And the mm. two was always post-production. And even though we had the same title and made the same money, there was still that hierarchy mm-hmm. of production was always considered over post. Right. And what's really interesting about while this was such a game changer for me and really made my career, ultimately in the end, and even to this day, it's hampered me a tiny bit because when you say my name, all anyone thinks about is post-production. It's post,
0: right. And even
2: though I have done tons of production and I've, I've I've show run pilots and I've been part of like, you know, biggest loser over the years, really deep into production. When it was still like, you're the post guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's always been sort of like this label that's really stuck with me. Even to this day when I'm not, you know, I mean, even though I own a post facility, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not editing anymore. I'm not, post-show running anymore, um, but it still sort of sticks with me, which is right. interesting. Um, but it was a massive, massive deal that he gave me that shot, and I ran with it, and um, I, like I said, I eventually became a showrunner. And then something amazing happened, which was I got a call from NBC. I think I was an EP at this point on Biggest Loser, and they said, we're starting these pod deals um, where we're basically giving them out. We're going to start with seven producers. It was, and it was all the producers of the biggest shows on NBC. It was my friend Jason Ehrlich, who was working on The Bachelor. Right. It was, um, God, I just lost his name, the guy who was running America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Lee Metzger, who was running The Voice. It was Howie Mandel, who had an overall deal. It was, it was seven producers, and they're like, we want to offer you an overall deal to be at NBC. Um, and I just sort of gotten representation at that point, and I was like, "This sounds amazing." Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, what it was was it was stability more than anything. What NBC was trying to do at the time was they were trying to basically wrap up all of their showrunners um, under overall deals so that they couldn't go and work for other networks or other big shows. Um, and this was a way for them to do it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that it was called a de- it was t- technically considered a, de- a development deal, but that was just semantics. You know, they were they basically said that to us so that to get us interested in the, oh, not only can you. You have the guaranteed work here, but you also get to develop your own shows and pitch it to us internally, et cetera. But well, like no,
0: they have a the first look at everything. Exactly. Well, no one in those stuff. first
2: four years sold a single thing sold to NBC, thing. and it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't until actually the studio that was created mm-hmm. four years later that it really became an right. actual development deal. But again, it was like, it was great stability for me. I'm in my 30s at this point. I started mm-hmm. a family and it's like, I, I know that no matter, even, even when Biggest Loser isn't shooting, even though it was shooting 10 months out of the year, I'm going to be paid for the year. Right. So I jumped right. on that overall deal. But again, there were six people on production deals and one on a post-production deal. Mm-hmm. So you, I was like their post-production guru, you know, right. yeah. for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, and that's the way they always saw me right, um, and then we're getting to the end here, sorry. Um, <laughs> and then was the like sort of the final chapter of this current story before mm-hmm. I create my next one, mm-hmm. which was again, sort of recognizing the times that we're in and times are changing and shows are budgets are coming down and the and the difficulty of finding show running jobs, you know with a lot of talented people in this industry uh it's, it's extremely competitive and me sort of saying all right look this has been a great career and i love it and i'm not saying that I, i'm not saying that i'm actually not going to show run again at all but what's that final sort of step for me and that would be basically starting my own thing
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. and now is a perfect time for another commercial break <laughs> Okay, I'm doing everything I want to do. I'm making a really good living. I'm able to send my kids to private school, like all of these things. Everything's good. But there's always been that worry in the back of my mind of that what's next? Mm-hmm. Can it all come falling down? How do I create something that is that, that provides me the stability for this, you know, I'm 46. This is not the final chapter in my career but you know it's like look it's like i'm entering probably the final phase of career-wise what i'm going to do in this industry Mm -hmm. what is that ultimately that next thing
0: and like, have you gotten every, like, what does it feel like to have everything you ever wanted? Is that where you are right now? Or clearly yeah. it's not. Like, Yeah,
2: no, but it's, it's so interesting because everyone always says that to me. They're like, dude, mm-hmm. your story's crazy. Like you've mm-hmm. literally, anything you put your mind to, you've gotten. And I was like, yeah, but it's also been a lot of hard work to mm-hmm. get to those places. Um, and, uh, you know, it all comes back to what we we're talking about. It's just like this idea of complacency, this mm-hmm. idea of can I do more, you know? Uh, yeah. And the only thing at this point in my career that I haven't done is be my own boss. Mm-hmm. I've always had a boss. I was like, is there a way for me to eliminate that final thing? How do I create this situation where I really am not answering to anyone? And, and and like that's a really hard step to make in your career. So all the different phases of my professional career have sort of led to this. It's like, who am I? Who am I as a human being? And this is why I said, like, I've never been the best at anything. But the one thing is sort of like people gravitate towards me. I'm like, I'm going to take advantage of that because I really feel like the best thing I can be is a manager and a boss. Like, that is really what my calling is. And while I've enjoyed editing and I've enjoyed producing, I know management is really where I can excel. And I had some ideas Mm -hmm. and I took a really, I I made a really bold move. And I set a meeting with Paul Talegdi, who was at the time the head of the, he eventually was the head of NBC. He was just as of a year ago, the president of NBC. But at the time he was the head of the alternative side of NBC. And I made a meeting with him and I went in and he was, he was a really good boss. And, you know, in that regard, even though he was so important and I was so unimportant really in the big scheme of things. And I proposed to him. I said, "Look, I was like Paul. What I really want to do, very similar to what I did with JD, actually, is I said, is I sort of just assess the situation. And what I realized what was going on at NBC at the time was, I was like, you know." one show is over here in Hollywood and another shows over here in, in Burbank. And then this shows over at this company. It's like, the, there was no real, like, you know, continuity to what they were ultimately doing. Mm-hmm. So I said, Paul, what I want to do is I want to open up my own post facility and I want to be your vendor for NBC. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, it's a really interesting idea. I get where you're coming from, but in his own Paul way, he basically told me to stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in, and not in a mean way. He's more just like, look, we really like what you're doing for us. Like you're you're a big showrunner. You're working on really important shows. Like everything's good. You're on an overall deal. Just stick with what you're doing. And I was like, okay, I'm disappointed, but I was again. It's like I'm doing what I like. This this is not like a big blow. And then a couple, of, I, I think it was almost a few years later, he called me back into his office, and they had had have having more internal discussions about sort of the future of these pod deals and all of this. And he's like, you know, I remember that what you what we talked about. He goes. I'd like to reintroduce that conversation. You know, I gave him a a more detailed of how I saw it all working. And he's like, I actually think this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. He's like, let's, you know, he's like, you know, get together, form a business plan. And I formed an entire business plan of how I thought it was going to work. And he was very open to this idea of me, breaking away from NBC and being on my own, but still being able to have a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what we ultimately formed was while I have no specific contract or anything with NBC, they trust me. They trust the work that I do. They trust the people that I work with, the teams that I put together, because I just needed the courage to go out on my own, knowing that there's no guarantee I'm going to get any work by opening my own facility. But knowing that, you know, we were on good terms and knowing that he appreciated the all that work that I had done and Meredith R is another person, you know, who, who really believed in me over at NBC, mm-hmm. I had the faith to just say, I'm going to do this and know that the work will come. And to this day, it has. You know, I've got a wonderful, amazing working relationship with NBC. My biggest champagne problem, to be perfectly honest with you, is it's the perception that I'm an NBC post us. Cause mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, you mm-hmm. know, I'm I, I'm a third party post us. I have all sorts of other shows in here, but everyone sees the big NBC shows in here and they're mm-hmm. like, you're, you're NBC's post us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what I, that's what I'm dealing with right now is sort of yeah. convincing the world that I'm not, that I have a wonderful relationship with them. And I love those people and I love doing all of these shows, but ultimately, you know, I'm my own company. I'm no other way productions. And, um, you know, I'm my own boss and I do my own thing. And now I'm into this final sort of stage where I'm really finally doing what I really want to be doing, which is creating my own shows. Right. So it took me, you know, 46 years to get here. Am I 47? I can't remember. (laughs) I'm 46. Um, It took me 46 years to sort of get to this place where I'm like, God, I love what I'm doing right now, but I do. And it's like, and I hired this awesome, uh, you know, head of development, uh, this woman, Lindsay, who I work with day in and day out. And we are a two person team. And we have, you know, spent two years busting our asses, trying to come up with a huge slate. Mm -hmm. And we're just starting to sort of reap the benefits of it and have the success that I envisioned we could have when I opened this company. Uh, And I'm basically right on the precipice again of like really starting to sell my own shows and then produce my own shows. And that's why I say like it's all come full circle for me, because the idea the ideal for me right now is take everything that I've learned through this entire crazy sort of like process from when I started at Fox Sports and now do it all, do it like all. create yeah. the show, produce the show, post-produce the show. Do because I I know how to now do all of those things. You have to do all those steps in order to to really figure out what you're going to do because you wouldn't you don't know how to do half the things. It's like you have to take those first steps. And if you want to jump a step, you're only really screwing yourself. Totally because yeah. you're you're robbing yourself. Of knowledge, of learning, of the ability to like, you know, take the take the step afterwards. So it's really like I'm really in a space now. I mean, if it weren't for the fucking pandemic, yeah, I'd be in a space where I'm like I'm thrilled with you know where I'm at. I feel like this isn't the final stage, mm-hmm. but if it were, that would be okay with me. It'd
0: be okay. Well, I think you one know? thing one thing that like is so consistent in your story um, that is really good advice for anybody truly in any career path is like planting seeds and having the confidence, like throwing things out there, getting in the guy's face at the editor's face at Fox sports, like getting in the room saying, I have this idea for a co EP post co EP, like dropping these little seeds Mm -hmm. around through your whole career. They, they just always came back and served you, you know, and that's where you are now. Like all these seeds that you've dropped for, 20 plus years, man, that's going to come straight thanks back Thanks for around. saying that. I mean, that's going strange. after
2: what you want mm-hmm. is vital. Mm-hmm. It's vital. If you don't go after you want, you're never going to get it. Like, you're just not, you know? Yeah. And look, you're going to be told no along mm-hmm. the way, you know? Look, I, in all three of the examples I gave you, I was told no at first. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Jay, Jay told me no way. No yeah. way could you be an editor. And then yeah. he, he did it. They said no way to the raise that I wanted to like mm-hmm. be on equal ground, and that was you know. And then eventually, and then and then again, it's like JD originally was like no, and even Paul,
0: I know, and no. NBC yeah.
2: when I said I want to start a company was like no, no, we're not letting you out of here. I mean, like <laughs> it's 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 always been a no, but just having the confidence to say this is the right decision, and I have to live with the consequences mm-hmm. of the answer, knowing that eventually. I'll get to where i want to get to and maybe yeah. it's going to be a little bit harder but you have to have that fortitude to just say i know what i'm doing is mm-hmm. the is the right step is the yeah. right step um and i will survive no matter what mm-hmm. maybe it has to do with you know the way that i was raised i mean you guys you've heard some of the stories about Are we, you know, we could do like
1: nine podcasts about <laughs> some of your stories like. i'm
0: still like hoping that nobody actually writes the stories right. we'll that we'll you were telling us on, of we'll your job we'll do a podcast
2: on that someday <laughs> oh But my like God. I've been pretty independent. You've yeah. never
0: been a victim. Like yeah. you've never, never had a victim mentality. You don't you don't take like I have to walk through Central Park or I have to walk to get my driver's license of uh, yep, exactly. three hours two <laughs> ways. Yeah.
2: <laughs> just like that's just the way that life is. You have to believe that the decisions that you're making right. are right. And you they know? might
0: not always
2: be, but like
1: uh, we had us we we were doing an interview the other day with I can't remember who it was, but um came up with a metaphor. A visual artist metaphor uh. as you would expect from me but um <laughs> uh, sure. of i don't think you can create great art without making a mess yeah.
2: right i love
1: that i, I think true. you have to really be willing to like just get paint all over the floor and ruin some clothes and yeah.
0: that's and, metaphorically and, and and physically and physically I yeah i think, yeah. I, think yeah. I love that it's so and true I, yeah.
1: I love that yeah if you're so concerned, uh, uh, it's the separating of the two processes of creating and then editing are very separate mm-hmm. to me. And and the creative, creative process should just be a fucking explosion of ideas. And, I agree. And then I you agree. have to step into another zone and be like, all right, then I can clean this up. Right. Yeah. And but, by the
2: way, it also ties into something else that I believe in, which I know that you probably feel the same, which is like this career and your career, really any artistic career, mm-hmm. let's just be a little bit more broad about it. It's not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. Like it just, it isn't like, this is like, look, we reap the benefits of doing something that we love. You're, you know, you're a rock star. You know what I mean? It's like, that's (laughs) awesome. You know what I mean? And you reap the benefits of that, but to get to where you had to get to, there was so much rejection and so much, so many no's. It's like, it's not for everyone. You want no rejection, go and, you know, sit in a cubicle and be an accountant, you know what I mean? And just punch your numbers and go home and make, you know, be happy with the living. But it's like, if you want something greater than that, uh, and not, not, I'm not putting down accountants, but I'm just saying if you, want if you want no, something greater, personality. you yeah. have to basically be pre- prepared for what comes along with this. And this mm-hmm. industry is unforgiving. It yeah. really is. It's like I say to my kids, all th- I'm like, I am literally told no every single day. And especially on what I'm doing right now in development, it's like I will go and work for six weeks of blood, sweat and tears on something. And then I go and pitch it around and I get 17 people telling me no. And then I move on from that idea and move on to the next thing. It's like rejection, all of that. It's like you need to be self-confident and enough in who you are as a human Mm -hmm. being. Yeah. Um, and what you can contribute to this world to even step into this industry because if you can't yeah. handle if you can't handle that i would never suggest being anything artistic to anyone which is uh, funny
1: and, because the, fu- the funny thing about that though is you ha- yes you have to have a thick skin you have to be able to deal with rejection but sensitivity is a big part of being a creative person Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah that's 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 the the biggest challenge
2: for that's the i think the biggest challenge for creative people is we are sensitive human beings Mm -hmm. we are we are emotional we do wear wear our emotions on our sleeves we all of us i know you guys do i know that i do you know so it's like that's the balance of figuring out can i actually do this and that's um, also because,
0: part of the sale too. I think yeah. like in the pitch, like when you wear your heart on your sleeve, sometimes if you're in the right room with the right person and you yeah. read it well, like that's the sale,
2: yeah. you and know? I totally agree with and you. And
0: it just depends on timing. And what yeah. do you say? Luck, luck favors the well prepared, mm, darling. That, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know. The biggest thing that I can take away from, you know, why I am happy and where I stand right now is I, 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 I was able to find something That I don't dread going to in
1: the morning. Yeah, number one thing.
0: One that like, and Sam and I were talking about uh, last week. He and I just kind of chatted with each other. uh, uh, Kind of the topic was creativity and how, you know, you can't like schedule. You can't schedule creativity, and so the fact that you actually get to go to work, you get to go to your beautiful office and sit down and let the lightning bolt strike you. Like sometimes. Sometimes just sitting down is the thing that, like, allows it in. And it might not. I I might be in the
2: grocery store and think of the next great reality show, or I might be sitting here with, you know, my development, Mm -hmm. you know, um, director and just, you know, pounding, grinding and grinding. And like, who really knows? Um, But, you know, I definitely would say that I challenge myself even after all these years. To be as creative I can, as creative as I can on a daily basis. Um, that's the one thing. It's like that's mm-hmm. my exercise. I wish I, could, I wish I could put that into like you know. I wish I could exercise every day the way that I challenge myself like to be cre- yeah. to be creative every day. But I yeah. yeah. force myself to come up with ideas, and the vast majority I know are terrible. But I'm not afraid to have them, and I'm not afraid to put them out there because you just really ultimately never know when the great one's going to come. Yeah. And
1: so.
0: What do you say? You say you got to be willing to kill your babies. Kill your babies. Yeah, <laughs> you
2: have to. Yeah, you know?
1: I remember when I first started in a bit, like playing music. This is a random story, but um, I, when Phantom Planet first started, this uh-huh. when I was like 15 or 16, yeah. I would like write a song maybe once every couple of weeks or something, you know I mean? I was like a slow writer it was, and it was, and I put all my eggs in a basket mm-hmm. and like, and then Alex and Jason, they were writing like 20 songs a day. Like they were just like <laughs> constantly and 19 of them were, were like whatever. Yeah, exactly. But then, but then one of them was like California, you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. So that's it's like that
2: one great one. So yeah. uh,
1: that's something that I've had to learn how to, do more is force your, force that creativity yeah. even if it's 10 minutes a day you know what I mean just like yeah. some, just something put something on paper put something in a computer just get something out mm-hmm. and yeah. because you can't, you can't greatness can't come from nothing exactly <laughs> I mean, it's like here's a melody
2: here's a melody here's a beat yeah. here's something you know what I mean yeah. and that's so, what I do too you and I yeah. are very similar I literally yeah. do okay. that same on a daily basis like, my question
1: though is you keep you've changed your career so many times at yeah. this point it's all in the same umbrella mm-hmm. don't get me wrong and you've yeah. you've summarized it all and you've brought it into one thing. I'm curious to know if you're going to still want to be doing that in 10 years. You know what I mean? It's a great question
2: in full transparency. I don't know the answer to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Knowing myself and looking back on even the story I sort of just told about where I've gotten Mm -hmm. to where I am. I can't imagine that I'm going to be happy doing this in 10 years. I really, I see several more acts for my life. Mm -hmm. My goals right now are to create a very successful production company. I am in the infancy stages of that. Uh, I'm getting there, but I'm really nowhere near where I want to be because what I really want to do, like I said, is create my own shows, produce my own shows, et cetera. Once I get to that point, I think that I'm going to be able to walk away from it. Actually, there's always going to be the entertainment industry interest to me, but I can Mm -hmm. definitely see myself teaching. Once a year I go, a friend of mine invites me, uh, to, uh, guest teach his class, his reality TV class at UCLA. And I really look forward to that day that I go mm-hmm. there. Um, it's really fun for me. Uh, I know that I can, you know, engage kids, you know, Very in, well, yeah. with my sort of enthusiasm, etc. I still feel like I'm so far away from the current goal that I yeah, have. It's a, it's a ways that, away, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it is yeah. a ways away. But but. I can, but it's a good question, and I I, I I could definitely see doing something totally different. Yeah, uh, just, been, Yeah, yeah sure. just
0: in line with you being a great Boss, I I can imagine you being a phenomenal teacher, great storyteller. Like, thank you. I mean,
2: it's definitely something that it definitely appeals to me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I can't wait for you
1: to grade me on my editing skills when I uh, turn (laughs) when I finish this.
2: Nothing but A's, I'm sure. Why don't you just
0: send it? Let's just send it to Alex. (laughs) Yeah, you
2: should edit it yourself. Please do not send it to me. You'll never (laughs) get it back. You'll literally like when it wait. It's be like the wedding video. When are you editing that wedding video? (laughs) Never. Never.
0: I feel like we've learned so much about you. And one thing that we always like to ask people at the end, mm-hmm. what is what is your definition of success? Like, what would you say makes you would make you feel like you lay your head down at the pillow at night?
2: That's a great question. I, I mean, think I think I have an answer. I've kind of answered it along the way. But it's like, exactly. if I just have to answer that question individually, I think my definition of success is... Is not come is, is not waking up in the morning and dreading going to your job making a difference in people's lives uh, making people smile I don't know there's so many like cliche things that I want to say but they're true it's just like you know having more people here, here's what success is to me having the vast majority of the people in the world out there when they when your name comes up think good things not bad things like that's, yeah, that's success great. you know having as few people in the world think that you're a dick or a <laughs> douchebag or an asshole, like yeah. that to me is the definition of success. Because that's, I hope that there's only, I know that there's a few, you know, out there, everyone has them, but I really hope that there's only a few out there <laughs> who, when you say the name Alex Katz, think I fucking hate that guy. You know, <laughs> that guy's a, like, that's that to me. It's like, if I can go through life and, yeah. and the majority of people who hear my name think that's a great dude, mm-hmm. I've, 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 I got it all. Like truly like that success for me. Uh,
1: That's a good answer. I I love that that answer. Fantastic. That's a way to close right
0: (laughs) there. And I think that's, I think that's uh, That that's true for you. I (laughs) don't think people think you're a big dude.
2: I love you guys. (laughs) You're wonderful. I just want to say, I'm so happy that you're doing this. I think that this is going to be so invaluable to, to, for people down the road to, you know, to when they're trying to figure out some things about what they want to do with their lives, to hear all these wonderful stories about, how people got to where they are. I think mm-hmm. it's a yeah. really smart idea, and the, you guys are perfect people to do it. So, oh,
0: I, thank you so thank much. Yeah, wow. And thanks for inviting yeah. me on. Like
2: I said, it's been really a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Love you, man. All uh, right, hey, you too, guys. Thank I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right.
2: Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening. and Alex, thank you for all the advice you gave me on editing. Too bad it came too late because I had already edited the podcast. But uh, I'm going to use your advice for the next episode, future episodes. Rate and review and subscribe, please. Thank you. Uh, Hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next time.